logistics industry is a hotbed of activity for technology investment, with established companies, venture capitalists, and startups spending big money on this billion-dollar industry. The 2018 edition of TT's Top 50 Logistics Companies list and this edition of Live on Web focus on this exciting trend, including how digital solutions are making their presence known. Hi, I'm Joe Howard, Executive Editor of Transport Topics and your host for this edition of Live on Web. I'm joined by our Senior Features Writer and Driving Force behind our annual list, Stan Berth, and also Evan Armstrong, President of Armstrong & Associates and our data partner for the Logistics 50. We're also joined by Bob Volman, President of the Transportation Intermediaries Association, and live via Skype we have Santosh Sankar, Director and Co-Founder of Dynamo, a venture capital fund that specializes in logistics companies. Welcome to you all. During today's program, you can join the conversation as well by emailing us at share at ttnews.com. Dan, you presented the list at the annual TIA conference earlier this month. Why don't you get us started by sharing some of the highlights of this year's list? All right. Thank you, Joe. Um, uh, honestly, the story uh, behind the top 50 list this year really isn't uh, about who's on the list because uh, there's some very familiar names at the top of this list. All the big hitters are, are there. C.H. Uh, uh, Robinson Worldwide, uh, the, the the biggest freight brokerage uh, company uh, in North America, uh, and by some measures, maybe the largest logistics company of all, mm -hmm. if you uh, look at gross revenue. So, uh, Expeditors International, uh, the biggest freight forwarder in North America, uh, you'll see on at the top of the list, J.B. Hunt, um, the master of intermodal uh, services, uh, is there. Um, DHL and UPS. Um, uh, these are the two biggest parcel carriers in, in the world, and um, and they're represented. And in fact, one of or one of these companies um, has been at the top of our list, uh, either one or two, ever since we started publishing it in 2002. So, the company at the top of the list, XPO, um, uh, party crasher, if you will. <laughs> This is a company that uh, emerged uh, over the last five years by making uh, acquisitions. It's an aggregator, right? It's uh, combined uh, a number of very large companies, mm -hmm. and in the process has become uh, uh, the biggest company in, in, in North America. Um, uh, so, um, Joe, what's most interesting to me about the list this year is not who's on it, but what they're doing to mm -hmm. stay on the list and to position themselves for, um, for leadership going forward. And um, it's my observation that um, we're seeing tremendous investment uh, by all of these companies in their businesses. Uh, we're not seeing as much M&A as we maybe have in the past, but they're spending um, um, a lot of money uh, to... Uh, make their processes uh, more efficient, uh, to improve the connections between shippers and carriers. Um, uh, they're doing a lot of things uh, uh, to innovate, um, uh, to incorporate new ideas into their businesses. And this is uh, something that I think uh, is important for the whole industry because uh, it's not just the big companies that are doing it. And uh, I think every company of, of any size really has the opportunity to, to innovate. and. Uh, and so we're seeing a lot of that uh, innovation, um, I equate to survival mm -hmm. in this industry. So um, that's my observation about mm -hmm. uh, the list this year. And, and, and to that point, in your reporting, you uncovered that there's been 
14.4 billion spent since 2013 on you know logistics technology. That's that's a lot of money in a fairly short amount of time, and that excludes niche services. So we're just talking, you know, across the supply chain. That's right. Um, in fact, I saw um, earlier this week a report that Amazon um, spends 23 billion dollars a year on R&D. Mm -hmm. uh, more than any other U.S. company by far. Um, um, uh, so it tells you that there's an appetite for investment in transportation and logistics mm -hmm. um, um, especially. And, uh, and one of the um, reasons for that is the, the, um, the trend towards e-commerce, right? Uh, this uh, spending online is putting pressure on really every aspect of the logistics market from, mm -hmm. from warehousing to transport and delivery to uh, procurement uh, to the fact that uh, you know, it's, it's a global marketplace, right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at um, who's the, the types of services that logistics companies provide, uh, e-commerce is really pushing them to do more in, mm -hmm. in, in, in all these areas to, to create um, uh, more speed, uh, more flexibility, and lower costs, right? That's the driving force behind all these things. Bob, you were talking before the show about how different companies are spending in different areas. Some are spending here, some are spending there. Right, so what, we, what we've seen and what um, Evan's data shows, what, what your data shows, um, is that the Internet is actually intermating, intermediating mm -hmm. this industry rather than disintermediating it because there's such pressure to invest in technology. Manufacturers are investing in technology to make their products better, faster, quicker. Carriers are investing in technology to move their trucks better, faster, cheaper. And so the three PLs are the only ones investing in, in the technology to move the product better, faster, cheaper, mm -hmm. so that they can continue in a world of decreasing margins to maintain profitability. Uh, and so where we see in other industries that technology has dis is disrupting the industry, this industry was disrupted 30 years ago. And the disruptors are called XPO and C.H. Robinson and Alan Lund. Mm -hmm. So Evan, you know, in the excellent column you contributed to our Logistics 50 list, you, you drew a distinction between domestic transportation management and digital freight matching. Uh, the, the, these two distinct sectors, for want of a better term. Sure. I'd love to hear you, you yeah, know, expand on that. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, so we came out with our first research on what we like to call digital freight matching companies in, in 2016. And really what we look at is, is we're talking about web, websites and applications that have um, some distinct technology and then really <coughs> handle um, matching uh, trucks and carriers certain different ways, right? So we have a lot of models that are, we like to call Uber-like, so companies like Convoy, uh, Uber Freight, Transfix now, and um, a lot of them, in terms of how they operate, really look a lot like small domestic transportation managers uh, or freight brokers. So essentially, you know, a traditional office or office model, um, managing freight the, the traditional brokerage model and uh, you know having some type of proprietary technology wrapped around it um, a lot of our research really is to, to look at you know how those how those different 
applications are growing. And really where we've seen a lot of the success has been with the, uh, like the traditional load board guys, which we like to call load board plus, right? So um, companies like that, truckstop.com, who have taken a lot of the scale that they've, they've developed um, from the load boards and they're building applications around those. And then of course, um, with the traditional freight brokers such as TQL, CH Robinson, uh, Coyote, um, building different dashboards really to help better manage carrier capacity. So digital freight matching, it's, it has a distinction from traditional domestic transportation management and a lot of it's driven around how the proprietary uh, technology is, is being used. Mm -hmm. So in terms, of, in terms of the opportunity that technology provides though, are we at a moment where because technology can do so much, we can, there's, such, there's a tremendous opportunity for specialization. It doesn't matter what your business is, if you specialize in X, Y, or Z, there's, there's, a, there's a technology, there's, there's, a, there's a technological solution to whatever problem you may have. Yeah, I mean, we're getting to the point now where, you know, I'm working with an artificial intelligence company that can actually bring um, emails in from different, uh, you know, from carriers that, that, that give carrier capacity, they bring emails in from shippers, the, the AI can actually read the information in the email, deposit it in the TMS, and what they're doing now is they're looking at matching um, the loads to the carriers, and they really have about a 75% success rate. So, you know, even on the traditional freight brokerage, domestic transportation management side, we're seeing technology like that on the warehousing side. We're seeing, um, you know, increased use of robotics or cobotics, where you're having um, different autonomous robots uh, working with people in warehouses. The cost is getting down, so we're, we're you know we're seeing technology and back office functions. So technology is proliferating, and really over the last three years, we've seen some pretty dramatic change. Mm -hmm. And, and we'll continue to see that. I mean, the, the industry is, um, it's only 40 years old. Um, it will continue to innovate and change. Um, Friedman, before the, before the, the um, um, iPhone, he wrote, the world is flat, and he said that everything that can be automated must be automated. But you have to squeeze uh, process cost out of every application. And, and that's what we're seeing. Yeah, we're definitely seeing it both on the domestic side, um, the warehousing side, and you know what's you know we talk about declining margins, say in domestic transportation management. So 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 in our numbers, we're somewhere around 15% gross margin. I know in Bob's report they're a little lower. Um, anyway, but as margin gross margins decline, which is going to happen in a competitive environment. Um, what we're seeing is a lot of back office solutions, you know, around things like freight bill payment, handling PODs, trying to automate a lot of processes. The data entry clerk is going away, right? There's still a lot of data entry out there. Well, a lot of it is going to be done by machine learning, by AI. So on the back end, you might actually have better EBITDA margins on your on lower gross gross margins just because of so much automation within these processes. So that's what we're seeing. We, we talked a little bit about that before the show as well, when you were mm -hmm. you know, making a prediction about the future of uh, that handheld device we all have and where you think all this uh, is going. I think handheld devices are a passing um, fancy, um, especially when it comes to the truck. Uh, drivers are supposed to be driving. We've, you know, we, we keep trying to get 
cell phones out of our own hands, and um, it, it's not a great computing tool for that. I think the truck will become the computing tool, and and the the uh, logistics company's computer will tender the load to the truck's computer. The truck's computer will analyze the driver's hours of service, his desire to be home on Wednesday, where his current load's going to drop what his accounting costs are and can actually will then figure out which load that he's being tendered nets him the most amount of money and then he will verbally say yeah I'll take that load two and the computers will continue to talk and they'll work all the details out while the driver keeps going down the road mm -hmm. and so when he drops off the computer will tell him take your rest break drive to this parking lot and then move on to pick up the next load. Um, I, and I think, that's, I think that's where we're going. If I knew how to do that, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> but um, I, I think that's where we're headed. You know, the last thing we want are drivers, you know, looking at their cell phones, mm -hmm. trying to compute load analytics while they're going down the road. Mm -hmm. So, Santosh, this is a great place for you to step in because we're talking about all this stuff looking down the road, and that's pretty much what Dynamo is doing. You're uh, you know, investing in companies, I suppose. With the first fund of $18 million, you've already invested in 14 companies since yeah. founding in 2016, so you must be seeing a lot of uh, opportunity in the, in the logistics space. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I think the, the, the conversations uh, so far have been extremely interesting, and, and Bob, to your point, yeah, the... Uh, the truck drivers should have their hands on the steering wheel looking ahead of them. Um, and, and, and I think there are interesting things where we might augment their vision with certain types of intelligence. But, um, you know, the, the one thing we spun ourselves up uh, in 2016, looked at the opportunity uh, sitting across the supply chain holistically. And a lot of other investors are starting to do that as well. And, and the way venture capitalists think is, you know, where are their large markets and where is there actually a need for things such as efficiency? Uh, but in the name of efficiency, are you actually going to be able to take a substantial amount of share or are you going to be party to this uh, large market size? So, you know, just simply looking at freight revenues, $800 billion, you look at warehousing, a couple uh, hundred billion dollars, very quickly you're going to get to the trillion dollar number. But just very qualitatively, if you observe the economy around us, trucking, warehousing, logistical functions, they're the backbone of the economy. When we talk about economic health, we're talking about trade and the parties that are privy to that and allow that to even happen. Um, and, and that's what investors now are looking at and saying, hey, you know, where can we think about digital freight matching? What about digital brokerage? Is there an opportunity to streamline certain manual functions that have been done a certain way for 20, 30 years? And uh, a lot of the signs say yes. Um, you know, this is an interesting time to perhaps invest in founding teams that are building solutions that are centered in and around that. And then there are certain opportunities where, you know, now might not be the time. It might still be a decade or, or, or two away. Um, but certainly a, a lot of attention and um, a, a lot of our activity, you know, speaks to that. Santosh, could you uh, tell us a little uh, about some of the companies you've invested in? What are they doing? Uh, what is your uh, um, determinant for what's, uh, what's successful and what's not? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, you know, we, when we come in, we're, we're generally the, the first institutional investor. And so a lot of what, what we spend time in and around is, hey, is the founding team a, a team that you can get comfortable around? Are they um, kind of credible in affecting the, the change and, and the vision that they put in front of you? And also the, the markets we understand, um, I, I would say from a bottoms up basis. Uh, but if we if we look across our entire portfolio, we think about this um, on a horizontal basis as well as a vertical basis. And uh, just this morning, we announced our 14th investment uh, in a company called Stored. And what Stored's doing is uh, changing the nature of warehousing and distribution. So traditionally, you're beholden to three to five year leases as a shipper, but your business ebbs and flows. All of your business does not necessarily have this. Uh, long-term nature where you have to have an asset or a lease on the books. And what Stored's doing is they've gone out and, and realized 57% of commercial warehousing space is in the hands of much more flexible independent owners. They do not think in three to five year terms. They think in terms of utilization. And what they have been able to do is uh, go out and provide the assurance and the standardization that regardless of the owner, the asset and the facility that your goods are moving through are, you know, sufficient to your requirements. Um, and through the process, they've garnered uh, Fortune 500 publicly traded customers. But that will kind of give you a taste from the warehousing and distribution side. We have another company called Starsky that's focused on, hey, how do we get truck drivers to their families at the end of every night? And that's a autonomous play, but also understanding that there are certain aspects of trucking that require teleoperations. And that in and of itself might lend itself to um, a, a better work and, and life balance for truckers. Um, and then, you know, speaking to verticals, we have a company called Scoopos that is exposing a lot of the supply chain data. So in, in Bob's statement that the internet is actually intermediating a lot of these activities across the supply chain. Scoopos is playing to that. And if you look at the convenience store uh, footprint in the US, it's the only brick and mortar segment that's growing. And it grows at about the rate of GDP. And increasingly in and around last mile, the convenience store footprint is gonna be very important. And I think we'll see a lot of interesting things in and around parcel and package delivery that get exposed over time. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Santox, one of the most interesting things to me in, in when I was visiting you in Chattanooga was to see the, the collaboration that exists between startups, um, people with ideas for, for businesses and technology, and the established um, companies in that market, the, the trucking companies, the Tenco Logistics is their big warehousing firm, and uh, you have, of course, the history of freight brokerage, uh, with Coyote and um, so forth in that community too. Can you talk a little about the importance uh, of collaboration with uh, existing companies that is fostering growth of uh, new new startups? Yeah, um, you know the the, the big notion uh, in in venture or the startup world is often to uh, spurn the incumbents, uh, but the interesting thing is hey, we're talking about trillions of dollars of value sitting globally. Um, and it's a very physical world. The physicality of goods alone changes the, the way you build a business. And in our offices, we have an adage, uh, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants. And, you know, we have the benefit that in Chattanooga, we have 
a Joey Hogan at Covenant who can teach you about the world of full truckload. You know, my partner, Ted Allen, you know, built Access America and, and merged it in with uh, Coyote. You have the Fullers at U.S. Express. But everybody has gone through certain lessons learned. And everybody is capitalistic. You're trying to improve your business. You're trying to take share. And that's where we focus a lot of our startups and corporates around figuring out how can we come to the table and work together. In some instances, it might be, hey, we're competitive. And that's fine, too. But there are opportunities around you know, vendor-customer um, relationships, strategic partnerships, are there long-term distribution agreements? And the, the reality is that this is an industry and also leaning into our southern heritage here, being based in, in the dynamo of Dixie, um, you know, let's work together and figure out how we can work together because together we'll go further. But, you know, individually we might go faster. That's not necessarily the, the best place to be. But a lot of what we do is figure out how, do, how can we bring these big Fortune 500s, these forward-thinking legacy incumbents with the up-and-comers in logistics test. I like, I like how you said that, um, standing on the shoulders of giants versus uh, spurning the, the incumbents. Um, because this isn't an industry where people are throwing up walls and saying, um, this is the way we do it, and, and hiding behind those barriers. Um, there are no barriers. It's a, new, yeah. it's a new business every day. Yeah. That's right. and, and where we've seen a lot of the success is really in applications and, and different uh, technology that supports um, existing third-party logistics providers. So if you look at some of the more successful apps and, and uh, innovative companies, a lot of them are supporting existing providers as well. So. Yeah. I... Um I, I spent some time with uh, Sammy Riddle of, of Transplace earlier this year, and we were talking about you know the, the role of technology in the industry. And you know any industry change is hard to effectuate, right? You know, humans do not do well with change. But he uh, put it. Uh, he said, Santosh, you know I've always viewed it as an exercise in change management. And you know there are going to be certain things that are very hard to to get your team to use and, and accept and embrace. But at the end of the day, it's best for the business, and it's on you as a manager to figure out how to help that happen. But as founders, you know, you need to figure out how can customers understand the benefit of your solution. And there might also be, and oftentimes is, there is not a good enough benefit. So you need to go back and, and figure it out as a founder. Correct. And, and But overall, all of this investment that's taking place in infrastructure is taking place in the middle and the intermediaries are turning around and giving that investment of technology to the shipper for free and to the motor carrier on a variable cost basis. Um, that's huge. No shipper can replicate what, what um, XPO or, or Robinson or Lund or Landstar is investing in technology. And let alone all of them combined, and then you add in, in Centosh and what the the uh, new entrants are doing. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Bob. I think really, um, you know, 20 years ago, you know, a lot of the companies like Walmart were driving what happened on the innovation side, the tech side uh, within domestic logistics. And now what we're really seeing is third-party logistics providers being the ones spending money on technology innovating on the technology side. I mean, we've always used a benchmark of around 9% of uh, 
net revenue being spent on IT by 3PLs, and, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing, if you want to go see what the latest and greatest innovation is, you go and go to a 3PL nowadays. 20 years ago, it would have been going to a, a Fortune 100 company. Uh, if I could interject. It's your it is, show. It is in, <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> it is interesting to me to, to contemplate the role of shippers in um, facilitating change. Um, I think, Bob, you were before the show talking about how some shippers are behind the times. Let's face it, they're still using old technology and old systems. And talking about Walmart, Walmart is certainly an influential shipper uh, which clings to EDI uh, 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 systems for handling its uh, transactions with carriers and, and so forth. And so, some people think that's old-fashioned and needs to be replaced, but they have such market power that it's not going to change until Walmart decides it's until ready Walmart. to change, right? So, uh, so considering that, I want to ask Bob and, and, and maybe Evan, too, to, to comment on how you see the role of Amazon um, going forward? What here? They are a big shipper. Let's face it. And some people think they will eventually become a logistics service provider in their own right. Um, but they're certainly influential in the market. How do you see well, that playing out? They're totally influential in the market. But large retailers have always been influential in the market. You just talked about Walmart. Um, if we go back and we look at Sears and Montgomery Wards. Um, large retailers have always been innovators. Uh, they've always played in transportation and logistics. Um, Amazon is doing the same thing. Um, will we talk about Amazon uh, 10 years from now? That's the question. What'll, will Amazon be here 100 years from now? Um, Echo Global Logistics is headquartered in what used to be the Montgomery Wards Catalog Distribution Center, and they were the e-commerce giant of their day. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the other question, you know, with regard to Amazon is how long will investors invest without returns? Yeah, the stock market's been very, very favorable to Amazon. Uh, we're getting ready to release an uh, e-commerce report for the U.S. Uh, e-commerce logistics market next week and what we've realized and when we really do a deep dive on Amazon is they have some some pretty significant 3PL service offerings they are starting to put on-site operations in uh, customers that um, aren't interested in working with them in terms of their uh, fulfillment by Amazon and they're, you know, so they're building infrastructure to support their existing operations and really looking at other ways to integrate back into their customers' operations from a logistics standpoint. And when we started talking about the Amazon effect about six years ago, you know, we were looking at things like on-time performance, the customer experience, and, you know, we were talking about it this morning. Um, we've all gotten pretty spoiled uh, by Amazon and our expectations are pretty high, uh, especially when it comes to delivery performance and cost of delivery, right? Where nobody wants to get a package in seven days any anymore and, and pay standard UPS shipping rates. So it's, it's definitely impacted it. And from a 3PL perspective, um, a lot of it is just trying to figure out, you know, the e-commerce the, the e logistics market 
is growing. You know, we, our estimate is that in 2017, e-commerce related logistics in the U.S. was 117 billion. Uh, we expect it's going to get up to 196 billion by 2020. And the 3PL revenue portion of that is 12.8 billion for 2017 and 20.9 billion for 2020 estimate. And that, the CAGR on that is 18%. So, you know, it's definitely growing at one or two times faster than the overall 3PL market, the e-commerce portion. The real thing is, is, is as a 3PL sitting there looking at this growth, how can we make money? That's the real question. And it's, it's quite a challenge when nobody wants to pay for shipping and expects everything in two days. Right. So then, is it going? Because it, it seems to me it's all about who is who is kind of controlling the pipeline, who is controlling you know the attention of the consumer, really. So right now it's Amazon, but if they can't find a profitable way to do it, maybe somebody else will. Is, is that is that kind of where well, we're going? I, I think there's a race by all of the top retailers to find a a an e-commerce solution um, to compete with Amazon. Um, they've certainly conditioned us that two-day free shipping is now table stakes. Um, and in some markets, uh, one day or even one hour shipping mm -hmm. will become table stakes. But nothing's free. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> yeah. And the other retailers have to figure that out, figure out how to do it. And they'll be looking for uh, logistics or, or technology partners to help them do that. And I think when you talk about IT companies, they're all looking at, you know, if I do a search on Google, if I'm Google, how can I get involved in the logistics portion of that search, right? So a lot of the IT companies are trying to figure out how they can become part of that logistics process and get some wallet share of that logistics process. Mm -hmm. So um, that's been, that's pretty quite a bit of transformation, especially in the last three years, and really goes to Amazon's acquisition of Whole Foods, right? So when we're looking at what they're doing, why, why would you buy Whole Foods, right? It's really a more of a logistics play and, and working on the supply chain um, and expanding the footprint within logistics. So Santosh, as it relates to, say, companies you might invest in, we're talking a lot about you know profitability so what are the what are kind of the benchmarks you know you look at for a company I, I imagine it's not necessarily there's not a formula to it you have to see how a company's doing and what kind of results are returning you know as they go but what what but what are the the benchmarks and the touch points where you say okay this one's going to make it this one's not yeah uh the the reality is when we come in there there is no financial history right we're we're talking about going from from zero to one uh if you would but that's where very clearly understanding the market, not just you know saying big, large numbers, being able to very clearly say, hey, we're looking at the e-commerce section of trucking, or looking at specifically you know Trans-Pacific Ocean cargo, and being able to drill down and understand who are the users, who are the buyers, if they're different parties, because it's a corporate environment, and are we able to provide 10x more value using our product? Is this revolutionary, not just evolutionary or, or incremental? But then also as investors, where do we stand to help, right? Are we going to be able to make initial introductions to key users? Are we going to be able to get you in front of potential partners early on in the process? 
are you going to be a part of the ecosystem? Are you going to be this kind of friction and, and inertia? How are we playing into it? That's really what we think about when we're coming in. And then, obviously, as there's growth, you know, are other investors going to come in? Do they see this opportunity that we can build this, you know, large, you know, billion-dollar type business? That's what uh, venture is is seeking as they come to uh, play ball with uh, the logistics industry. Yeah, I guess we talked about digital freight matching earlier, and we've seen about 420 million in investment in digital freight matching. And I, I do a lot of calls with investors where they're asking questions about it. And really what we see is, is you know, there, there are kind of the models where you're going to build a brokerage or there are models where you're going to be a load board or work with 3PLs. And currently what we're really seeing is the ones that have been successful are the ones working with 3PLs uh, directly. But, you know, once you get outside of domestic transportation management, there are a lot of applications and a lot that can be done in terms of automating back office processes, helping uh, better make, make warehousing operations more efficient, make international freight forwarding operations more efficient as well. So I think we're going to see some uh, really cool stuff coming down the pike in the next three to five years. So Absolutely. And, uh, you know, um, one of our, our founders uh, did a, a quarter-long study uh, in regards to how much back and forth and kind of communication you have to, uh, to get, you know, a, a load booked on a truck and then put into a warehouse. And, you know, they were buried by day three in 25, 30 email messages. And then the, the, the fax machine was going off. The phone was, uh, was also going off. They were, they were at some point sold that there's a communication opportunity. And, um, you know, straight to, to the AI company that, that you alluded to, too, I think that plays a big role. And the interesting thing is human behavior might not need to change significantly. It plays into the existing habits uh, of a workforce. So reduce friction. As a quick reminder, you're watching Live on Web's look at Logistics Accelerated. As we continue, we invite you to participate in the show. You can email questions or comments to share at ttnews.com, and we'll do our best to address them during the program. We do have one reader question I'd like to share. Uh, what innovative ideas or programs are carriers doing from a pricing standpoint to offset the driver shortage and increased volumes? Do you have any thoughts on that one? Carriers themselves. <laughs> well, I think what I think what the carriers are doing is they're working with their shippers and their receivers to um, eliminate bottlenecks. Um, the way for shippers to reduce their cost in a time of tight capacity is to improve their throughput. So don't waste drivers' time. Um, get them in. Get them out. Uh, change your distribution pattern. Um, 600 miles is no longer a one-day trip. Um, so there, there are changes that the shipper has to make from a structural standpoint that can lower their cost of transportation. Um, and what's happened is those have always been there. ELDs didn't change one word of the hours of service rules. There was just a lot of fudge factor. And with ELDs and enforcement, there is no fudge factor. So the care and the carriers are going to have hard data. So when Santosh talks about using data, the carriers are going to be able to use data as a weapon 
to force their customers to improve their operations or find other carriers. And in a tight capacity market, there may not be another carrier. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the answer to that. It's not the carriers aren't going to lower their costs. The shippers are going to lower their costs of carriage by improving their operations. Now, TIA just founded a shipper council. We did. Why don't you tell us about that initiative? Well, we want to hear directly from shippers how our members can better serve them, how they want to be interacted with, how, you know, what services are they looking for, uh, what type of, of commitment, verifiable commitment are they looking for. Mm -hmm. So uh, we saw it as a, um, a right step to take, and the market, you know, this is the right time in the marketplace mm -hmm. to do that. Yeah, I guess, and I just, I'll just put a, put a, um, put it in bold. It's, it's when you're on the carrier side, it's all about asset utilization and really how you manage your drivers and equipment. So anything that you can do as a shipper to improve asset utilization is, uh, is going to make you more carrier friendly. And really, a lot of the reason to work with a 3PL is because of a lot of times the 3PL, since they can more actively manage the transportation really allows for it to be more carrier friendly. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've definitely seen that in the growth of the uh, domestic transportation management segment of third party logistics. That's mm -hmm. a, a definite value add. You know, one idea that <clears throat> I heard of recently, which um, is something that may help in this area, since this time is a premium now for drivers, uh, I think we should look to see if companies begin to compensate them differently compensate them for their hours rather than the miles that they go. And so uh, there's, there's always been, I think, an, an idea in, in trucking to, uh, to try to keep the, the truck um, in motion and, and just switch, swap out drivers, uh, uh, maybe create relay systems uh, where the truck keeps moving but the drivers stay home more. Um, I think you'll see some, some ideas uh, some people try uh, to, to work on those ideas as a way of compensating for, you know, capacity and, and, and to give the drivers a better, you know, life, lifestyle mm -hmm. and so forth. So. We had one reader question. This is a nice, simple ranking. What are the top three concerns a logistics company faces every day, and do these concerns stand in the way of or hinder innovation? concerns within a third-party logistics provider. Yeah. Uh, it's really, so one of the, the, the hardest things about being a 3PL is currently with all the growth is, is finding the right people. So it's really about um, we're all finding not, the right We're all people, nodding our heads. <laughs> finding the right people to, to yes. fill positions, uh, building career paths for those people, having good training for those people. Because frankly, um, there's so much demand for, um, you know, recruits in supply chain management, um, people with no experience up to like five years of experience that if, if, if they're landing a position and the company's not going to take care of them, they're going to be gone quickly. So um, it's really around human resources. How are you managing those resources? Um, that, is, that is key. And then, of course, the other thing is, is how can you get closer to your customers, right? What can you do from a process standpoint to make things more streamlined, improve the operations for your customers, really work on key performance indicators, getting the operational performance up so there's very, very sticky relationships with your customer base. 
So that's another um, key ingredient. And then, of course, maintaining um, profit margins that are acceptable. I totally agree. And I, I would put them in that order. Santos, what do you think are the top three for you know some of your, some of the folks you work with? Their startups, their their concerns are different. I I 110 percent agree with uh, the the people. Um, you know what? Because you can have any type of technology you want, but this is a relational business. There's a factor of trust, and a lot of our startups quickly learn that when you walk into a, a situation, you know. You don't want to be the individual who jeopardizes an important shipper relationship, uh, right? Uh, sitting from the perspective of a, of a carrier or a 3PL. So how can you make sure that you trust this company that might only have you know 18 months of a of track record? Um, how can you know that it's actually going to be impactful to your customer? Who you're with earnest and, and, and sincere effort, you're trying to help them improve their operations and, and their business. But making sure you have the right folks, and, and that's where it becomes to be a, a mix of, you know, uh, industry experts, folks that have that that experience, but also folks who can mesh with uh, more of the uh, the talent that's coming out and is thinking in a in a tech forward perspective. And it comes down to to talent management, and that's most businesses, I would say, acutely yeah, in, in our world right now. And then just to bridge the two the two thoughts between shippers and and what we're talking about with talent is um, it's not about price. It's about how the 3PL is going to make the shipper's life better. We've got a live question from Jim Noble, which is pretty good. Technology innovation is happening at a breakneck pace. What is the bandwidth of the transportation industry to digest all of this innovation? That's a great question. It's a lot going on. How are we going to... Well, I think in, in terms of the 3PL side of it, so when we talk about domestic transportation managers and, and, and freight brokers, um, they're currently looking at all of the innovation, all the tech solutions very hard, at least more of the you know, forward-thinking ones. So um, I think it's happening. I, I really think it's happening. You've got applications out there like Hubtran to help uh, automate freight bill payment, POD handling. You know, you got the traditional TMS providers that are looking at ways to innovate. And then you have other applications like on the AI side with like Parade AI and some of these other companies that are really going to be um, integrations within to traditional transportation management systems. And then you also have the visibility providers, right? So you have macro points of the world. You have Project 44. Um, I mean, there, there are all these solutions that are being developed to really improve operations, improve the way data is handling, take out some of the gaps in the data, and really move things forward. So I, I think it's happening now. I, 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 I don't think anybody's sitting around waiting. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Um, I think if, if you look at you know, all the way from, from UPS to, you know, in, in our backyard, uh, Covenant, uh, both in the last 12 months have appointed a chief transformation officer. Um, this individual's role is to figure out, you know, how do you digest a lot of these trends? Where are you going to incorporate the, the technology that you need? And a, a big movement is also, we don't need to even consider building our own. And it's almost as if you're going to have a supply chain of software providers yourself. And they're the ones that you're going to put together in a certain type of construct or configuration, but always being vigilant as to, are we using the, the right configuration? Are the right parties at the table? 
and the signal of success or failure is are customers happy? Are we helping our customers achieve their goals every day? And, and, and it's always been an industry that, that's done that. It's mm -hmm. always been an industry that was open and adaptive. Uh, Santosh and, and Access America and Coyote coming into the marketplace and transforming it. Um, and now people never leave. They, they go right back out and you know, we see Santosh now investing in new companies that are going to bring new ideas that other companies will adopt and, and utilize. It's a very collaborative um, environment. I just wrote a campfire story about um, the origins of freight matching um, and the Jubitz truck stop where the, the, the brokers hanging around at the truck stop would tip the waitress to call out available loads. Um, and look at, look at where we are today and who, you know, just imagine where we're going to be 40 years from now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, I think there's been a, a, a fundamental change in the attitudes of people, primarily in trucking, but uh, towards change, right? I think uh, most companies today um, believe that they must change in order to survive. So that, that's different than what it used to be. I mean, it is hard to change, as Santosh mentioned earlier, I think. Um, there was resistance to, to brokerage when it uh, came in, in into uh, yeah, but we persevered, <laughs> right? Uh, um, but now it's an integral part of the business. Right. Um, um, and you know, at your convention uh, the, this year, the the number of tech companies exhibiting was uh, phenomenal. 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 It was it was great. So there's a, there is a lot out there. Um, I know one of the uh, your speakers, however, was uh, struck a cautionary note when he said. Most of these companies are not going to survive. So um, the lesson there, I guess, is to be careful about who you do, you're doing business with. And, and maybe it raises the question, are we seeing a bubble, you know, in terms of the amount of money going into startups uh, and new technology in this field? Does, does, does anyone, Satush, do you feel like there's uh, perhaps a bubble under, uh, underway here or, uh, or, or not? Um, I think over being on the ground, I would say over the last 18 months or so, you've seen kind of a, a massive change in behavior where it's actually not that easy to go raise your first round of funding from a party like Dynamo or, you know, be it uh, Valley based, New York based, wherever uh, the, the bar has been higher. You no longer show up to a doorstep with an idea on a napkin and half your team. You need to have your product together. You need to have your, your story nicely buttoned up. And the reality is, you know, we see a couple hundred uh, a, a month, and we say no to the vast majority of them. Um, so that's where when there's talk about bubble, there might be segments that are getting really hot and could be overheated, and we tend to then coin those as buzzwords, like AI, ML, robotics, so on and so forth. But to the, the discerning investor, um, you know, it's still business as, as usual. Um, and let's see where the macro economy goes. Yeah, and we work, we, we work with a lot of investors, and we work a lot of with a lot of investors looking at third-party logistics providers. And I can tell you, there's a lot of money that wants to be deployed that's not being deployed. And every deal that that comes to market now is usually going through an investment bank, 
and there tend to be like a dozen different bidders on the deals for the, some of the larger ones. So it keeps the valuations up, it keeps the investment banks uh, in business, but in terms of the old days where you had one 3PL approaching another 3PL to buy it, um, we're seeing fewer and fewer of those transactions. But a lot of what we're seeing now is, is private equity. We're seeing investors investing in companies, a uh, little less on the strategic side, especially since uh, XPO Logistics has been fairly quiet. Um, but, you know, still a lot of interest, a lot of money out there to, to, to invest in, in logistics companies. It's really about um, what, is, what does the solution look like? You know, how does it address the market? What does it do? Does it really have legs? And is it something people really need? So, you know, I mean, that's, those are the questions you have to answer. Now, Bob, what do your, your more established members have to say about that? They see all these companies, these tech companies exhibiting at the show, and they see all this potential change coming to an industry where they have established businesses. Oh, they're looking every day how, you know, we tell a story. We had a reluctant exhibitor four years ago. Um, we talked him into a 10 by 10 booth. First member, first night of the trade show, walked up and said, what do you do and how can I make money? he was sold. Um, these are the most innovative companies in the business today, in, in any business today. Um, it's a highly fractured marketplace. It continues to grow at an amazing clip. Um, there are amazing startup technologies that are in, coming into the space, um, and, and they're innovative. They're entrepreneurs, and they're not hiding behind any artificial barrier. They're out there, and they're all together every day. Um, and there are no guarantees. Every day is a new, they have to find out those loads. Mm -hmm. So, and, and Santush, it's interesting because you're, you know, you've lived it from both sides, uh, from both the, um, the provider side and now the investment side. So, you know, you see, you see these people, they're, um, uh, you know, Access America was open and, and had, I, great ideas, silver at Coyote, um, and it just keeps it, it just keeps reinventing itself. And, and and that's where it comes down to to people, right? And um, in 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 this industry, I think we're seeing a shift where you have um, a a rise in in management that is more technology uh, conversant, and are taking a step back and saying. You know, we have done certain things for 15, 20 years here, but why? They're starting to say, well, why are we still doing it that way? That might have made sense then, but does that make sense now? And are we using these very key core tools in our back office where why are we doing things by paper pencil? Should we be using something that's more dynamic and gives us operating leverage? And really what that helps do is at the end of the day when we look at the customers of the broad supply chain. The supply chain has been viewed as a driver of operating leverage forever, but now it's also being viewed as a driver of the customer experience, right? Going back and, and bringing back to the Amazon conversation, the reason Amazon is able to be the darling of the consumer and small business, you know, as a, a small business, we use Amazon for a lot of our needs as well. It's because we know things will show up when they tell you they will show up. But that's not possible without uh, the amazing trucking companies, the 3PLs, the warehousers in the entire equation. 
Well, the fact that we have a very strong economy right now kind of helps, too. Um, um, let's give credit to President Trump for what he did to lower taxes on businesses, because this has freed up money that can be invested in your own business and in new technology and in hiring and, and so forth. So, so that's a positive. Um, um, what, do, what do you guys think about uh, the, the economy overall going forward? We're, we're in a very tight capacity situation right now because the, the strong economy and, and, uh, um, and the insufficient number of trucks available to handle that freight. But, uh, you know, Noel Perry was uh, a speaker at your conference, and, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, his message was um, uh, that this economy is going to run out of gas sooner rather than later. Um, we're, we've been in an economic growth period for a very long time, and if we, uh, I think, can continue for the balance of this year, it will be a, a record-long mm -hmm. economic expansion for the U.S. Anyway, so these things tend to go in cycles. Uh, how confident are you about uh, the economy overall right now? I, it doesn't show any signs of slowing down. Um, I think what Noel was saying was be prepared. It's not going to continue at this pace um, that, you know, I, I was sharing with them. Uh, we lost about 200,000 homes this year to fire um, and hurricanes, including my parents uh, lost their home to, to it. That was a lot, of, a lot of drywall, carpet, hardwood floors, new washing machines, cars that had to be moved to market. That ate up a lot of capacity. ELDs, you're, Evan, you're, you're per five, four to six percent, four to six percent yeah. impact, and that will last for what we saw with the, the larger carriers when they implemented three quarters before they figured it out. So capacity is going to ease a little bit. So, you know, I wouldn't go um, build the beach house just yet, based on this, you know, current rates. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think, but I think, yeah. I think it, it, it's it's hard to, I mean, the, the way I look at it is is we got tight capacity because we don't have enough drivers, right? So, you know, and the economy's doing well, so it, everything gets back to that, that those human resources eventually, and a lot of it is, you know, if you're running a brokerage, do you want to pay somebody sixty thousand dollars a year to call carriers and find out where a shipment is or to do data entry work, right? You want to automate that. So a lot of it gets back to how do you interact what's going on in the economy, which is pretty strong, and, and frankly, we see 3PL growth this year, which is going to be similar to the last year's 11.3%, right? So pretty significant growth. Um, meanwhile, we got e-commerce, so things like air freight, air freight capacity is tight, so that, that part of the market's doing very well. And then if you look on the warehousing side, you know, almost every warehouse is full. So, you know, from our little piece of the world here in, in Third-party logistics, um, you know, it's it's things are very tight, and we're pretty optimistic about it. And really, it's about how do you continue the growth with the people you have, and then take innovation to kind of backfill it and improve processes so you have people working on what they should be working on instead of menial um, types of tasks. Um, but we see pretty significant growth being projected for this year as well. And the one thing that um, I hope we don't do is turn over and find a whole bunch of new truck drivers. <laughs> um, 
I think from a trucking and 3PL standpoint, this tight capacity market is good and it will drive that shipper inefficiency out. Mm -hmm. um, and I hope it lasts for a long time mm -hmm. and that this is the new norm. Uh, where uh, it could also become an economic headwind at the same time is at what point is there a break point where uh, freight rates reach a certain threshold? We see that as a consumer in a meaningful way. And does that kind of set the stage for, you know, perhaps uh, rationalized spending? And, and we've seen uh, certain institutions like General Mills, I think is the most uh, noted one as of late saying that, hey, we did not expect our logistics costs to be where they are. Um, and But cereal is, is a staple. A lot of these are, are staples. So how is the American consumer impacted by it? And I think it's just a, it's a neat thing. You might not think about supply chain when you're eating your, your bowl of cereal, but that's why it might have cost you, you know, 10 cents more this month versus last. Uh, but then on, on a global basis also is, you know, uh, avoiding, uh, you know, any issues that, uh, might um, preclude us from being a, a friendly trade partner, as well as geopolitical uh, issues. Uh, right now, you know, freight coming in and out of our borders is a healthy thing. It's a good thing for, for every industry touching the supply chain, trucking, uh, warehousing, container, air, software solutions, powering all that as well. We're about out of time, so Santosh, I'm going to give you the last word. That was a, that was a good one. I didn't think we'd close on cereal, but it was but it was, really, <laughs> it was a great example. I like it. Um, if this show has taught us anything, it's that the logistics industry is teeming with activity, activity that promises to revolutionize how goods are shipped and received, and which just might reshape the TT Logistics 50 list in the years ahead. Time will tell. To see the 2018 edition of that list, pick up your April 9th issue of Transport Topics, or check it out online at ttnews.com. I'd like to thank Dan Berth and Evan Armstrong for their contributions to that list, and also Brandon Green, our former editorial researcher who's moved on to a new career opportunity. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks also to Bob Voltman and Santosh Sankar for joining us today. Our next Live on Web is scheduled for June 20th, 2018, six months removed from the ELD mandate. We'll discuss how the industry is uh, handling that transition. It's sure to be a lively show, so don't miss it. For now, thanks for watching this edition of Live on Web. I'm Joe Howard. We'll see you next time.